Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Hey there, my name's Michael Laminato, and this is Preview Day at the 2023 Qatar Grand Prix on Pit Pass F1. Pit Pass F1 is brought to you by Evergreen Podcasts, and this week Max Verstappen is on the brink of history. Not only is he poised to claim his long-anticipated third world title, but he could become the first driver in history to win the championship after a sprint race. Second-placed Sergio Perez would need to outscore Verstappen by six points in the Saturday race to prolong the inevitable until Sunday. In other words, Perez would have to win with Verstappen no higher than seventh in the 100km dash. It's somewhat unfortunate for a driver who's long railed against format changes like the sprint, but I suppose we shouldn't feel too much sympathy for a man about to join an elite group of ten other drivers with three world titles. The roasting hot LaSalle paddock was otherwise awash with talk about Andretti Formula Racing, the prospective 11th team, after it got the nod from the FIA to enter the 2025 or 2026 championship seasons. But Formula 1 itself now needs to grant its own approval, and opinions among the teams and drivers, who don't have a say but can certainly talk, are mixed. So to bring us up to date ahead of this championship deciding weekend, let's hear now from your host in the sweltering paddock, it's Luke Smith. Hello and welcome to Pit Pass F1. My name is Luke Smith, Senior Formula One writer for The Athletic, and I am back on hosting duties for this weekend's Qatar Grand Prix, where things are getting ready for a coronation. Max Verstappen needs just three points from the sprint race on Saturday or Sunday's Grand Prix to clinch his third F1 World Championship. It would be an achievement that would draw him level with such F1 greats as Ayrton Senna, Nicky Lauda and Sir Jackie Stewart and put him on track to be up there with the really big names, the likes of Vettel, Prost, Fangio, maybe even Schumacher and Hamilton on seven titles someday. But before we get into the intricate details of Verstappen's potential coronation later in the weekend, there was the small matter of today's media duties at the LaSalle International Circuit. Now, I came here in 2021 for the first F1 race in Qatar. It was held as a late edition when COVID-19 forced a number of race cancellations, and the facility has changed significantly in the two years that we've been away. The race was always meant to be a warm-up for Qatar. It took a year off in 2022 so it could focus on hosting the FIFA World Cup, and it has now started a 10-year deal to host Grand Prix. The redevelopment at the LaSalle circuit has been pretty extensive. You think about this track, it was a circuit built for motorcycle racing, a long-serving stop on the MotoGP calendar, and now it has an all-new paddock building and a shiny new media centre, which, believe it or not, has air conditioning that's so powerful, as part of the welcome gifts, we were given blankets so we could stay warm. And believe me, we needed it at points. It was really quite cold in there. The track also has what is apparently the longest pit lane in the world, so it's all very shiny and you would think fit for crowning a world champion. 
But the fashion in which Max Verstappen looks set to win his title all feels a little bit empty, a little bit strange. Because he only needs three points this weekend to sew things up, and because it's a sprint race weekend, that means Verstappen is likely to become world champion for a third time on Saturday. He only requires a top six finish in the sprint race to wrap things up. And that is also on the assumption that Sergio Perez scores the maximum of eight points if he were to win the sprint, which, let's face it, on Perez's current form is hardly guaranteed either. It is a very weird situation to think of, having a champion crowned on Saturday and a whole Grand Prix still to run the next day. But Verstappen has been taking the nature of his potential coronation very much in his stride. At the start of his media session on Thursday, I asked him, like, how the nerves, how your emotions, and he replied, oh, I'm shaking, and laughed about it. Obviously, he's not under any pressure whatsoever. He feels very relaxed about things, and the team is really treating it like a weekend like any other. They know there's no need to put any extra pressure on, and really things do look like a bit of a formality from here. And in terms of Verstappen winning the title on Saturday, he said that he didn't really find it that annoying because after all, he's just there to win the races and do the best possible job he can. His bigger issue with the sprint races were still their format. Now, this is something he's been a regular critic of and he went on quite a long rant in today's session, pointing out how it just lacks some of the excitement of a normal Grand Prix weekend, that kind of build up that leads to the Sunday show. And I do wonder that when he is crown champion, probably on Saturday, is there going to be a little part of him that thinks, ah, oh, I'd much rather this were to come on Sunday, up on the podium, champagne flowing, all of that extra pizzazz that there simply isn't going to be. The other thing Verstappen must also consider if he does win it on Saturday are the celebrations, or maybe the lack of. He admitted that Red Bull could do nothing crazy if he were to win it on Saturday, given they'd have to focus on winning the Grand Prix the next day, but he said he was sure they would find a way to mark such a big occasion. I know that a bigger celebration will obviously follow on Sunday night when things are wrapped up, but he was cheekily asked if he'd ever had a big night on a Saturday and then gone and raced on the Sunday, to which he said, even if I had, I would of course not say. Today also gave us a chance to take stock of Verstappen's season, and he was really excellent in explaining the point that really allowed him to take such a big step forward against Sergio Perez in the intra-team fight at Red Bull and learn a lot more about the Red Bull RB19 car. And that came at the Azerbaijan Grand Prix at the end of April. There's the old mantra that you learn more from your defeats than you do your victories, and in this sense it was very true for Verstappen. He explained that after the pit stop, he knew he was likely to lose the race. He was stuck in second, knowing that Perez was going to be hard to catch and overtake, given how tricky it is in Baku. So what he did instead was play around with a few tricks on the steering wheel and try to understand a little bit more about the Red Bull car. So while he wasn't happy to have finished second behind his teammate, Verstappen said he jumped out of the car aware that he'd learned a lot, and it would pave the way for the spell of dominance that would follow. A really interesting insight there, I think, into just how Verstappen's mind works, and on days when you know you're going to get beaten, the kind of things you can do to try and just learn that little bit extra. It really has played such a big part in Verstappen's form this year, and I think it's uh, a fascinating insight into how a champion operates. The enormity of Verstappen's achievement was also something that is naturally being discussed by other drivers this weekend too. Even if Max himself isn't eager to compare to the greats whose records he is quickly matching and surpassing, there is a recognition from his rivals on just what another level of performance he has been this season. 
Sergio Perez was full of praise for his teammate and also explained that from his side, it was Barcelona where he felt things began to unravel a little bit. The Red Bull car development moving away from him and just making it tricky to string together those clean weekends. Fernando Alonso also talked up Verstappen's ability to excel in all conditions this season. No matter what's been thrown at him, he has never lost his consistency or his cool. You think of Monaco or Zandvoort, two rain-affected races, both times Alonso and Aston Martin there to try and pick up the pieces, and Max just did not give them even an inch to try and snatch away the win. Alonso also said he thought next year could be even better for Max, which, let's face it, is a pretty frightening prospect. Now, away from the championship story this weekend, one of the other big things to be tracking, and right the way through the remainder of the season, I think, is the possible addition of an 11th team to the F1 grid. Now, this is a story that took a big step forward on Monday when the FIA announced it had approved Andretti's bid to join the field. Andretti was one of four entries to be seriously considered by the FIA, who evaluated the sporting, technical and financial merits of all the bids. Andretti, of course, plan to work with Cadillac as their partner and have said they want to make this an all-American team. We always knew Andretti was likely to get the approval from the FIA and we also know that the bigger hurdle is still to come. From here, it's now over to Formula 1 to consider the commercial aspects of adding Andretti to the grid, which includes, importantly, the impact it would have on the existing 10 teams. We are likely to hear more from the other teams over the weekend about their views, but it does seem like everyone is on pretty much the same page right now. Aston Martin's owner, Lawrence Stroll, spoke about the news at the launch of Aston Martin's Le Mans hypercar program for 2025 earlier this week. And he said that with F1 booming in the current shape it is, with the current structure working for the 10 teams that are racing, he doesn't see a reason to make a change or expand the field. Again though, it's unsurprising. We know there's this level of self-interest involved with all of the teams when they're looking at what Andretti would give to F1, what it would bring to the sport, and importantly, what it would actually take away from them. Ultimately, if your prize money is split between 11 instead of 10, it is always going to have an impact. But the view of the drivers has been slightly different through all of this. While some of them did say they understood the business complexities of the matter and would ultimately be supportive of whatever their team bosses felt, Others did recognise the benefits of having more competition and two extra seats on the grid. Lewis Hamilton said he thought it would be a great thing if F1 opened up the field to another two cars, whilst Max Verstappen was also in the view that it would help open up more opportunities for young drivers coming through. You think of someone like Liam Lawson, who is clamouring for a seat, has made such a great case this year, and ultimately there's only 20 spots. If there were 22, or maybe down the line 24, it would be a lot better, I think, in terms of giving more drivers more opportunities. Fernando Alonso knows Andretti well. He raced for the team at the Indy 500 in 2017. And while he did talk up the merits of Andretti, he also said he would be supportive of whatever view his boss, remember, Lawrence Stroll, would take in all of this. On the topic of Liam Lawson, this is likely to be the last time we see him racing in Formula 1 this year. We know he's someone who has made a great case for a future F1C and you've really got to think that come 2025 he will be absolutely at the front of the queue for an AlphaTauri drive should there be a position that comes up. But it looks like from the next race in Austin it will be Daniel Ricciardo who's coming back into the cockpit returning from injury after breaking his hand in practice for the Dutch Grand Prix. 
Lawson recently has been going from race to race, pretty much preparing as though he would be racing. But it was only on Monday that he actually found out he would be driving in Qatar this weekend. And the method in which he found out was actually quite amusing. He revealed in the press conference that he got a FaceTime call on his phone from an unknown number. Very strange. And then he answered it, which as the introvert here, I'm really quite shocked by. Like, you just reject calls, come on. When he did pick up though, it was Daniel Ricciardo's face that was at the other end, his face popping up all huge on his screen and letting him know the news that he would be racing in Qatar. Lawson did add today that he was unsure if there was any chance he could race for a non-Red Bull team next year, i.e. Williams, the only team with an available seat still for 2024. But for him, the focus will soon go back to Super Formula, where he'll be fighting for the title at Suzuka at the end of this month. Now, bringing it back to the Qatar weekend and the track obviously has undergone a lot of developments, even though the circuit layout itself remains exactly the same. But there was an interesting point raised by Liam Lawson's teammate, Yuki Tsunoda, who talks about the installation of some new curbs at the LaSalle circuit that he thought could create some issues over the weekend. If you might remember in 2021, there were a few times when drivers ran wide and actually damaged their cars on the curbs going too far over the white lines. That season, wow, track limits was a a very regular issue. Now, although we do have the firm line under Niels Vittich, literally a line, if you go over the white line, that exceeds track limits and your lap is deleted. They put an extra deterrent in place this weekend in the form of some pretty aggressive curbs. Sonoda went as far as saying they were floor destroyers and there's about a five centimetre drop from the edge of the curb down, meaning that anyone who does go over could cause some serious damage to the underside of their cars. A lot of drivers said on Thursday they thought track limits would be a big question mark this weekend given the high speed corners and the natural flow of the circuit, especially in the final sector. But it will be interesting to see how the extra deterrent of potentially ruining a floor by running wide will impact things and whether it will curb the matter. I'm sorry, I'm going to see myself out for that pun. Anyway, this is going to be a really hectic weekend in Qatar and not just because it's a sprint, but because it's actually one of the most challenging sprints, if not the most challenging sprint we've had yet in Formula 1. We know how hard it is for the drivers to dial in their cars with just a single practice session, but Qatar is going to make things even tougher because of the schedule and bringing things full circle from the start of this show, the heat and the weather. Now practice tomorrow is at 4.30pm local time. Meaning by the time it gets to qualifying at 8 o'clock, when the setups have to be locked in, the temperature is going to be vastly different and a lot lower. Now, the temps obviously play such a big part in terms of the car performance and the setup window you want to get into. And it left a few drivers saying it could lead to a little bit of a guessing game and maybe a bit of a shaken up field. If one team gets it really right and others get it really, really wrong, and they're locked with that setup for the rest of the weekend, it's going to be very, very difficult for them to get out of that hole. It could well spring a few surprises and make it very hard for teams to try and fight their way back. It'll be really interesting to see how much of an impact it does have. We know how good these simulators are nowadays, how well dialed in teams can get their cars even before they turn up at the circuit. But I think having just that one hour window, and particularly if there's a red flag or any instance, that could really make things interesting. Anyway, that is a wrap for the Thursday show from Qatar. I will be back tomorrow on Pit Pass F1 to bring you the full update from Friday, finding out who got it right and who got it wrong, and who will be starting on pole position for Sunday's Qatar Grand Prix. I will talk to you then.
Thanks very much to Luke, who's in Qatar all weekend bringing us the latest from the Lusail paddock. Make sure you don't miss an update from the Qatar Grand Prix by subscribing to Pit Pass F1 wherever you get your favourite podcasts. And you can visit us at pitpassmotorsports.com. While you're there, check out the Pit Pass Motorsports blog, powered by Podium Life, featuring racing articles and motorsport industry news. You can also keep up to date with goings-on between episodes by following Luke on social media. Just check the links in the show description. My name's Michael Laminato. Pit Pass F1 is an evergreen podcast. Running should be simple. Just put on your shoes and go. And yet, when you try to learn about how to get better at it, especially as you age, you're confronted with conflicting advice, complicated workouts, and confusing nutrition trends that just won't work for you. On The Planted Runner, I'll share exactly how to run faster, longer, and feel great doing it at any age because you don't have time to waste. I'm Coach Claire Bartholik, and I went from not running at all in my late 30s to finishing a marathon in 2.58 at age 42, all on a plant-based diet. I've helped hundreds of runners achieve new personal records well into their 60s and even 70s with science-backed training, plant-based nutrition, and proven mental strength techniques. Each episode of The Planted Runner is like a private coaching session on the run where you'll learn from me and the guests I interview. You'll get actionable lessons to help you become a better runner every week and reach goals that you never thought possible. Whether you're training for your first 5K or your 50th marathon, take along the planted runner on your next run. Let me show you how your best running is still ahead of you. 